Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. Our guest is Brad Oscar, who is currently starring as Frank Hillard in Mrs. Doubtfire, the musical, which just went on hiatus, is scheduled to resume on March 15th, 2022. So everybody get your tickets for that now to prepare for it coming back. Brad has had an amazing career, including working with some of our generation's greats. He shares an amazing story, actually, of when Stephen Sondheim came to see him while he was performing at the Barrow Street Theater production of the immersive Sweeney Todd that happened a few years ago. Stephen sat at his table and uh, someone went up on their lyrics. Stephen was fortunately there to help out. Can't wait to share this with you, among many other things. In case you didn't hear, we are getting back into creating transcriptions for the episodes. And unfortunately, human-generated transcriptions are not free. So show your support if you can by visiting ttp.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and help cover those costs in any way you can. Even a dollar will go a long way. Find me online on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast at Facebook. Facebook? Facebook slash official theater podcast. Leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with the wonderful Brad Oscar. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our guest today has earned two Tony Award nominations for his performances in The Producers and Something Rotten. Additional Broadway credits include Damn Yankees in 2005, Spamalot and The Addams Family, and of course, Big Fish. You've seen him on the telly in The Good Wife, Submissions Only, Madam Secretary, of course, Smash. <laughs> and he can currently be seen as Frank Hillard in Mrs. Doubtfire the Musical. Brad Oscar, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you. Very happy to be here. How are you doing on this glorious morning, days before the uh, the Doubtfire hiatus kicks in? I just want to immediately address the elephant in the room. Yeah, oh, please. We're living in a brand new world. It's crazy. Well, every day. I mean, you know, we've been, uh, needless to say, after our slight false sense of complacency and, oh, maybe we got through this and maybe we can continue and get back to doing the things we wanted to do. Sadly, obviously, the virus has reared its ugly head, even uglier head again. And, um, yeah, it has totally 
needless to say, as we know over these last uh, four weeks, um, yeah, had a huge effect on live theater and certainly specifically Broadway and what that means because as, you know, financially, which is basically how any industry runs. But, you know, so... So it's yeah. show business. It's not show fun. Exactly. No, it is. It's dollars and cents. It's bodies in the seats. It's, you know, every show, you know, I try to explain to people because I know it's a, it's a difficult thing to understand how shows work. I get it. If you're not in the middle of it all, it's a very complicated. There are so many facets. There are so many unions involved that come together. So, but basically what I always tell everyone is, look, each show is its own little company. You open a company mm -hmm. called... Mrs. Doubtfire, you open a company called the Phantom of the Opera. Well, liter literally, your the the producers found a, an LLC. Correct, right, uh, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I get paid yeah. by right as long as there is love LLC, which is the name of the production company for Doubtfire, uh, and our wonderful final song. So anyway, <laughs> so, you know that uh, immediately I hope puts into relief sort of the dollars and cents of it all. Oh, I'm opening a company. Well, my company is either going to succeed or fail based on you know if I sell my product or I don't. And mm -hmm. so it's what it comes down to. And of course, for live theater, what we do, that product is sold live to people who come and sit and we all share the experience together. And right now, uh, there is no question that all of us across the board are not only feeling the effect of uh, uh, just literally people who did sadly test positive after obviously being vaccinated and entire companies go down because there's not enough coverage because this thing went like wildfire. So if you've got half your cast down, you don't have that many people waiting in the wings to cover them. Swings and understudies. No company is ready for something like well, that. Well, the show, the show itself, right? Um, you guys were in. A, you had done a couple previews back in March 2020, right? Before Correct. before everything shut down the first time, right? Correct. So, like, uh, getting into your your emotional state, your mental <laughs> state is this, is this kind of like oh, okay, this old hat again, or are were you sort of expecting this to to continue? Um, I guess when when Broadway came back and you made it past the point where you did the first time that when mm -hmm. the show made it, you know, we opened and yeah. every everything made it. Yeah, was was that sort of it? Did you sort of sit back and say, okay, we're cruising now? And well, I mean, that's what you hope, right? You you open right. and then you hope the work is done. You've done all your rehearsals. You've done your, you know. Yes, of course. Now we're also having to deal with the, the reality of the real world. But so that, that was working out. Audiences are masked. We were tested uh, early. Well, regularly we were tested three times a week. Now, of course, we've upped that in the last couple of weeks because of what's going on. So we were all able to trust audience, crew, everyone in that building. Uh, you know, nobody gets into the Sondheim front of house backstage anywhere without being part of the testing protocol system. So, mm -hmm. yes, for a couple months, it seemed like, okay, we can do this. Audiences are masked. We're safe. Those of us who aren't masked as far as actors and, you know, but our crew is still masked backstage, wardrobe, all those people. Everyone stays masked, you know, especially now again. So anyway, it seemed to be working. We were able to get back to you know, what we were doing and make it go, make a go of it. And audiences were there and present. We had great houses. We were, we were ready. We were ready to settle in for a run. We were doing just fine, but because of what has happened and because of the fact that Broadway smartly said across the board, I believe when tickets went back on sale in late summer, Broadway said, you can buy these tickets. Oh, listen, doubt fire. <laughs> um, uh, you can, you could buy tickets and through the end of February, those tickets would be refundable. 
because things were so unknown and people were like, well, I want to go, but will I travel? Will I be able to? Sadly, what has happened, and of course not sadly for those people, because I understand I've had plenty of friends and family who did not come to the city in the last couple of weeks because of what's going on. And so their tickets mm -hmm. to the show were canceled and refunded, which is not the norm for Broadway. Let's face it. You buy your tickets. Those are your tickets. There's no refunds. Sometimes you can switch depending and blah, blah, blah. But in general, no, that's done. That's just how it's been. That's the way of the world. Um, but because we allowed, and rightfully so, again, that to happen, what has happened for us, and believe me, plenty of other shows, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and by interesting, I mean really scary and, and hopefully not you know, a horrible situation. But uh, for us, certainly, uh, a lot of our groups, families, those sales, those dried up or were refunded, yeah. as it may be. January and February are notoriously hard. I've never been in a show other than maybe a huge hit show in its first or second year where you're not worried about getting through January and February. Always. Yeah, this time of the year for the whole business is... 30 years of show is down. I've yeah. never... Exactly. So you always hope to get through January, February on whatever advance you have and day of sales and blah, blah, blah. So now we take January, February, and now we compound it with the fact that literally, sadly, right now, we are considered, you know, a real hotspot, an epicenter, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, uh, you know, even houses during Christmas week across the board, I know, we're, we're far below what they normally are. So, you know, Doubtfire would close next week or in two weeks um, because you just can't keep the business open when, mm -hmm. you know, obviously people aren't buying tickets. You know, we, we, we it, it's out there in the press what our show costs to run every week. Kevin McCollum, our extraordinary lead producer, who has done amazing things over the last two years to keep us going. And I think a pretty brilliant thing right now that I hope and pray and really believe is going to work and ensure that this show will have a, a nice run on Broadway. Because we were ready to do that, really, despite, you know, mixed reviews. And I know I've been in show business a long time. And <laughs> people would be like, oh, yes, hiatus. What a polite way of saying, you know, you know, it's a bomb. We're closing. I promise you, if things work out in, in ways that are beyond our control as far as the virus and making sure this works, uh, that everybody comes back and blah, blah, blah. But I, I believe this show can have a run. And I know how audiences are responding to the show eight times a week as well. And, uh, you know, and that's true and real and genuine. And so, so we're hoping for the best. But uh, unquestionably, I have never been on a roller coaster like this with any show I've ever been involved with, but also just never at any point in being you know, involved in this, in this business, has there been a time of more uncertainty and craziness and, and then the, the, the jumping through hoops and the, uh, uh, you know, living in these two worlds at once, as far as the protocols and what we're doing, just to try to keep this thing going. It's yeah. interesting to, to me, sort of the dichotomy of what's going on in the world right now, because the theater is is about healing and about bringing us together, which is what we need desperately right now. But by coming together, we're spreading the very thing that keeps <laughs> us, that's exactly. keeping us apart. Exactly. So it's, it's so frustrating yeah. right now. And I want to go back and acknowledge that, that Doubtfire is not a bomb. Um, I love the show. <laughs> And love, 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 love the show. And I love that your role of Frank Hillard was expanded so much from from yeah. the movie. Yeah. And you, you guys have so much to do. I, I've talked about this before. That one of my favorite 
scenes from the show is the flamenco number near the end. And I don't want to give too much away, but <laughs> it's costume on, costume off, like doing quick changes on uh, in front of the audience, behind the set, uh, to to you know, specific choreographed numbers to have prosthetic doubtfire pieces go in different places on the different, and you're part of all of this. And it's so much fun to watch you do this. It's so much fun to watch you interact, especially with Rob McClure, who I believe you were, you overlapped on Something Rotten, right? We did, yeah. The second year of Rotten together, correct. Yes. Right, right. So working with Rob again, working with the cast, I mean, the the children are incredible. Annalise is one of my new favorite up-and-coming stars. Right. Uh, They're all just so amazing. And of course, Jen Gambatisse, as everybody knows. So the whole show in general is great. But when you first, I guess... Uh, how did you first hear about it? When you first heard about it, were you called in for an audition? Were you told that it was happening? And then like, w- was your reaction like, oh, we don't need a Doubtfire musical or we absolutely have to have a well, Doubtfire musical? Well, you know, yeah, we all, I mean, it, you know, let's face it, oftentimes we hear such and such is becoming a mutant. And, you know, it, it, these days it just seems like a given. Like, of course, they're going to try to hit any property that, <clears throat> you know, excuse me, could be musicalized. And indeed, this is one. There's no question. I mean, this story is, you know, let's face it, it it's a, it, 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 it's an exaggerate, it's a larger than life story. It's not, you know, it's not necessarily something that would actually play out in real life. Let's face it, the logistics of what happens, but that's <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, that's part of the fantasy. That's part of, you know, what makes musicals, I think, so, you know, exciting in that way is that we are living in obviously a heightened reality. And in this mm-hmm. case, um, characters and story that lend themselves to that. So, so no, I wasn't like, oh, you know, I was like, gee, I hope it'll be good. You want it to be good. You want it to do justice to the material. You know, these great movies that come along and it's hard to transfer a piece from, as we know, film to stage. You know, you're either going to be too faithful or you're going to try to do something different and then fucks with the original intent and or organic nature of what that piece was. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've managed to pretty much stay, you know, color within the lines, but, but, but re, you know, recolor if you give this new colors, if you will, whatever. But anyway, um, my first, ironically, Kevin McCollum had this property, had optioned the property, if you will, years ago. So literally days after something rotten opened in 2015, he asked if I would come and sit around a table with some, you know, really great, funny people at the time. I know, I know Rob was there. So Rob McClure had been <clears throat> involved. It was Kelly O'Hara hmm. and me and, and Brooks Ashmanskis. We had, cause we had just opened in Doubtfire. I mean, in, in, in something rotten, um, because we were exhausted. It was a Monday and it was soon after we opened. So, you know, you're still exhausted from the whole process of opening. Right. And I remember thinking, Oi, believe me, I would not be here on a Monday. Was this not, you know, a pretty cool, project to be sitting in a room just for the first day of, a, of literally just a table read right anyway that was a table read of an entirely different treatment of mrs doubtfire an entirely different team creatively as far as author book and lyrics music book and lyrics sorry so i, I want to stop a second um uh, and i'll let you pick up again but i was i just googled when robin williams died so he died august 11th 2014 and then you're doing the table read in 2015 you said correct Right. Okay. So, so yeah. continue with your story. 
Yes. But I also want to know if there's any point, because this is literally a year after his death, his suicide, where... Uh, yeah, I don't... I guess that, that, yeah. I don't remember this it being an issue. I mean, again, it is what it is, right? Yes, it's a wonder. It's iconic. He's amazing. It'll be there forever. Mm-hmm. It's a tragedy that he's gone. I mean, all of those things exist. All of those things, of course, exist. But he brought this character to life and he made this character an indelible, you know, just as other actors and or characters have become. I remember doing the Adams family and going in and playing Uncle Fester and mm-hmm. thinking, okay, I'm I'm filling a shell of a character that has been created for me, interpreted in various different ways over the years, of course. But whatever that means, that you're, you know, so so yes, Robin Williams gave us. Mrs. Doubtfire. He gave us this character. Maybe the blueprint. You know, exactly. And um, and I think because she is just that, it enables another actor of great skill and enormous God, everything. I, I can't say enough about Rob McClure, you know, as a talent and, and as a person, but as a talent to be able to do what he does vocally mm-hmm. and physically. So yeah, to give another actor the template and the opportunity to to fill that to fill those shoes to 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 bring that character back to life to expand yeah. that character to you know and here's a character who really exists primarily as Daniel Hillard and then this man who wants to be with this kid so much that he disguises himself as a Scottish nanny to do so <laughs> you know and then right. we get and then we see this woman that we all respond to as well which is wonderful right. because the audience right. meets you halfway I'm doing that justice I think in a way and I also think within the first 20 minutes of the show Rob McClure earns enough of your uh, whatever love empathy sympathy uh, uh, or just interest to then really go along for the ride and you know it's Rob under there Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah it, it's you're you're going in expecting to see. Personally, I was like, I want to go in like who can live up to this character that I have in my right. mind, this nostalgia from this movie that I watched right. as a child. And right. and you're right. Within the first twenty minutes, I'm like, all right, cool, that's gone. Until you just right. said it, I didn't realize that it had happened. But you're right. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm I'm with Rob now. Rob is right. Rob because is, he walks in that door when he walks in that door and the reveal. You you now know. Okay, that's. Mm-hmm. That's this that Daniel Hillard, as played by Rob McClure, this guy in this situation. We see what he's just done. He came to his brother and his husband to try to, you know, to create this whole disguise. Mm-hmm. And here's the disguise. And then, oh, it's Mrs. Doubtfire. You know, a character that we know, not a character that they know. The wife and the kids are meeting this character for the first time. Yeah. But again, we, what a sort of joy uh, in many ways to the audience meets you halfway in that way. You know, well, and then of course you have the ball and you got to run with it. Yeah. And uh, believe me, this man right. runs with it. Yeah. So back to your table read story. <laughs> table read, then nothing because I guess in general powers that be were just like, okay, this might not work. We need to go back and rethink this. Flash forward to four years later, when uh, I simply hear about <laughs> a reading that's going to be done. So I am not at the table any longer. I don't know, again, things, you know, who knows how things are put back together and what was going on, what I was doing. I don't know. But anyway, they did a a week or two in the spring of 19. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. That I was not involved with, but I hear 
you know, went relatively well. And then as far as I know, I think it's as simple as the actor who was playing the role in the reading decided not to move forward with the project. And I went in and auditioned, hmm. you know, I went in and auditioned for Jerry's acts who I'd worked with briefly on Adam's family when I went into the show a year later though. So you only really get to work with the actual director, uh, maybe two or three times for a couple hours in a room. He comes and checks on everything before you go in, but I'd never had the process with Jerry, which has been <clears throat> easily one of the highlights of this experience. Working with Jerry Zacks for the first time like that in a room has been, uh, just everything, just gold, just, you know, you talk about, you never stop learning and old dogs, new tricks and all that stuff. Boy, I, uh, I can't say enough about that. So, but yeah, I went in and, and auditioned and, you know, and I had the connection to the, to the creative team, the boys, Wayne and Carrie Kirkpatrick and John O'Farrell, who had written something rotten. Mm -hmm. So that felt good as far as going into a room, you know, it always is nice to go into a room that feels a little warmer or a little safer based on, you know, any previous, um, and, and, you know, again, because I work with Jerry briefly and I've auditioned for Jerry several times and, uh, and it's always a wonderful process because Jerry, uh, nine times out of 10 always is on his feet and comes up and, you know, let's try, think about this, try that, 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 that. He, he gives you an adjustment or two, which I love because that to me again shows, okay, great. Let's work. Watch me work with you, with you. Cause it's a collaboration, right? You know? always and it should be and so i love because i only have so many answers i'll come in and give you what i think i'm is the character is the moment is the this as any actor should fully commit to you know i've learned make a choice because then the director can say oh okay he made a choice but hey what if it's this and then great i'm gonna make that choice and uh so yeah i love i love 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 jerry and uh yeah auditioned and got it <laughs> I love that. And, and you mentioned several Broadway credits, and I want to touch real quick on the fact that you were at the Sweeney Todd production a couple years ago at Barrow Street Theater oh, off-Broadway. Oh, oh. <laughs> this immersive production that no. was just absolutely incredible. I mean, it sounds like your reaction, too. You, you've got a special yeah. place oh, for this production, oh, too. God. Yeah. Of course, working, working with Carolee Carmelo, you know, a national, a national treasure of the yeah. Broadway world. Yeah. But what is it? What was that like for you, um, in terms of of the immersive aspect of this? Have you ever have you ever done something like that um, at this level where you were just interacting with the audience like this? No, uh, no, not really. And also, to be honest with you, it is my least favorite kind of theater. I'm all for like the fourth wall. The fourth wall is there for a reason. <laughs> I'll stay up here. You stay down there. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, in general, I am not a fan of, as an actor or as an audience member, actors coming into the audience. <laughs> Stay up there. I'm here to watch you. I'm not here to participate. But that, um, again, in general, right? So I'll never forget when my agent said they want to see you for this Sweeney, and he showed me the breakdown. I had heard about it already because Sweeney Todd... See, here's another thing. Sweeney Todd, to me, is the be-all, end-all. It is a huge part of my formative years growing up. I was, I was uh, 15 when it opened on Broadway. I saw it three times on Broadway. I saw it once a week when it started its tour at the Kennedy Center in D.C. I grew up in wow. D.C. Um, so Sweeney has always been... It's just, it, you know, it's my favorite. It's, it was like nothing I've ever... You know, blah, blah, blah. M productions over the years... 
Yeah, it is, as it is to many people, I know. But um, so, yes, but it is a show that is very special to me. And um, so, so yes, to have the opportunity to maybe be a part of a production. But when my agent said, okay, I want to see you for the Beatle, which I always think, oh, I'm not a really a tenor. Can I sing it? Um, but I could, I managed to. Uh, and, but the breakdown, you know, basically was like, oh, an actor should be game and ready to go, you know, and all this, what it was, this inter not interactive so much as just, including them in the proceedings, if you will, mm -hmm. even just whether that meant looking them in the eye, but that's huge. You know what I mean? If you think about it, that's again, breaking the fourth wall, including them in your, in your reality. Exactly. Yeah. So I was a little scared of that, but I was like, well, this is Sweeney Todd. I, I what, just deal with it, Brad. And also I try, you know, these expressions that are sometimes helpful as we, go along in life to, you know, run toward the fear, you know, when it comes to my work anyway, when it comes to my, you know, as an actor, um, yeah, run toward the fear, trust that people are going to be there to help you hopefully and trust yourself and take the leap and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I tried to embrace and not be so scared of what that meant or what I thought it meant even, you know what I mean? So, so yes. Uh, and then, yeah, so to be a part of that, I mean, I, you know, and especially now with, you know, Steve just leaving us. And so to have finally at that point in my career and um, at that point in his journey where nothing made him happier than to see his pieces reimagined, rediscovered, he was there. He was, it, he was, we had a, an impromptu invited dress before the actual invited dress we were having the next night. And he was there at the impromptu and he was there at the invited dress and he was there for the first preview. Then he was there on opening night. <clears throat> then he was there a couple weeks later because sadly we only had the four of the original English company. We had them for like six weeks maybe mm -hmm. or, you know, but anyway, um, he could not get enough of it. I mean, it's why it came over in the first place. Because he saw this production they did in this pie shop, this company that does environmentally, you know, uh, uh, local, you know, location productions. So he saw it and he um, absolutely loved it. And that's why it ended up, you know, coming over here in the first place. Uh, so, yeah. So to have had that experience, to have been in his orbit in that way, uh, to have had him at that first, I'll never forget it, that impromptu invited dress. There were several long tables, as well as other various. And uh, at the top of Act Two, God, that's good. All of us who were then functioning as ensemble, because there were only eight actors. And that was the amazing thing, too. Not only were we playing our roles, but all of us, except for Sweeney and Lovett, were functioning as also ensemble and various other little roles. Mm -hmm. So at the top of Act Two, God, that's good. We are all sitting at the head of each of these long four tables and then you have whoever you have at your table right while you're doing this number well damn it don't you know there's steve at my table now <laughs> you know, obviously anyone who has worked on a sondheim show knows how tricky some of his harmonies can be god bless uh, some that sound deceptively simple and then forget it trends and i'm not you know i learn by ear i don't really read music i'm 
you know, wow. And so, yeah, it was some of those harm, you know, but, uh, so yes, to have him there at the table and trying to convince myself that, you know, I knew what I was singing and I would, I would <laughs> sing the right part, but I was always so scared. I was going to, you know, fuck it up. But, um, so yeah, I mean, those were moments I will never forget. Um, and, uh, you know, my husband loves, Diego loves the story when it was our, I think it might have been the next night, or it could have been that night. And the love it, God bless her. Um, you know, she'd get so nervous and anxious. She was so wonderful. But, you know, it's oh, crazy to see the ways in which we sabotage ourselves. All of us have done the same thing. The minute you start to think of what the next lyric is, you're screwed. You're going to forget it. So she's doing By the Sea, and she drops or misses, and she stumbles. And she's searching, and literally within two seconds, the lyric comes from the house, from the house, from the shop, from, it's Steve, from the table. And it's Steve feeding her the lyric. Oh my God. And just in an effortless, wonderful, I mean, again, moments like that are just, you know, just crazy and lovely. And it was so sweet. And we, you know, and everyone laughed, sort of. She laughed as she picked up the line. And, you know, it was just like, geez, Louise, is this my life? Because, you know, um, <laughs> this is just, uh, you know, th those are, that's just, it, it's gold. So I am. Uh, I love that. I've heard so many positive, but yeah, so many amazing stories about Steve Sondheim, uh, especially right? recently. That's like, what's so amazing too, is that exactly, he wasn't a dick, man. He was like, <laughs> he, he was, he was a generous soul. He was the, to write what he wrote to the output, the, the complicated nature of everything that he was able to get inside of our heads the way he did. And you know, human nature and, and, and to maintain a humanity literally with people who mostly idolize, treated him like a God, which must be a real pain in the ass after a while. If you think about it, right? right. Nobody like a normal person. Everybody's like, Oh, you know, believe me, I had trouble treating him like a normal person. I mean, what do you say to Steve Sondheim? You know, but the more you just, you know, and he insisted on being called Steve. God, if you called him Mr. Sondheim, you know, especially in any working situation. I mean, you know, not just meeting him on the street, yeah. but, you know, being in that situation, you know, oh, Mr. Sondheim, oh, Steve, you know, and he meant it. He just wanted to be, you know, just wanted to be part of the team, but geez, Louise. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. I've been doing this podcast now for God over three years, I think. Yeah, and and everybody, some of the biggest names that I've interviewed, we stop recording, and the first thing they say to me was, "God, was that okay? Are, was that all right?" Be like some of the biggest names that, again, me present company included, of course. Right. Um, right. That that I'm saying, uh, I'm talking to them and I'm so excited and I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for giving your time, for giving this hour, whatever it is. And then the first thing they say is, was I happy? And it, it it's so, it's sort of, it, it gives me a great perspective and just shows me that even like you said that, uh, uh, you know, people, when you start thinking about um, lyrics ahead of time, that even the great people like it before they go out on stage at Carnegie Hall or before they go yeah. on stage at the Kennedy Center or whatever that is, everyone's on Tony yeah. Award performances, everyone's getting nervous. Everyone's got, got a little bit of that something that makes them have to pee five times before sure. a curtain goes up. 
Exactly. You know? I mean, you know, exactly. We all have our own stuff. You know, it's so easy to project or you think, you know, what other people are, are thinking or feeling or how they're behaving or, oh, wow, it seems so effortless. It seems so easy. It seems so this. It seems so that. Yeah. You know, I, I, again, I, um, Rob McClure, I watch Rob the way Rob works and I'm, 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 uh, I learn. I'm so envious in so many ways that I feel like he's, uh, and I'm talking about like, again, the psychological aspect of what we do, the pressure to go out there eight times a week and do a role like Rob is doing. When mm -hmm. I was playing Max Bialystok for years, I got to play Max. And the, you know, the enormous pressure of doing a role like that eight times a week, physically, vocally, mentally, keeping yourself, you know, ready to, you know, ride that wave, if you will, because again, the material, when you have material, of course, that supports you, uh, and is it, it, it makes your job that much easier. And so, you know, doing the producers was always joyous and thrilling and just the best role I could ask for. Doesn't mean I wasn't exhausted. Doesn't mean I was like, oh my God, you know, get me to the finish line. But, uh, you know, I never got bored. I never got, <laughs> God knows. Um, but anyway, what now I'm talking in circles and I forgot what my point was, what we were talking about. Oh, uh, what, learning what, from uh, Rob McClure. Right, 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 exactly. And just, just wanting to, um, giving yourself, I guess, the, the opportunity to do the best that you can do, to be the best that you can be, and not letting those insecurities and not letting, because we always, you know, we want to please, right? We want to be liked, we want to be loved, we want to win awards, we want to do all these, you know, all these things that are outside of, right, and actually have nothing to do with the work. You know what I mean? It may be, it may happen. Ideally, people will respond in a good way, but really, that has nothing to do with the process. It has nothing to do with, you know, what you're going out there to do. To, to do in that way. So, you know, <clears throat> anyway, the ways that one sets oneself up for success and the ways one sabotages one's right, are fascinating. No matter how old you are, I think, no matter how, I sometimes think it gets harder. I sometimes think to myself, Jesus, bro, really? Still? After all this time and you're standing here and you, you're, you know, a little more anxious and nervous than I think you, you, you need to be or should be, you know, are you really going over those lines again? You know, you know those lines. If you know, it's it, live. It, anything can happen. And I've been out there when anything does. And so that's part of the joy, I guess. But it's also part of what makes it so, you know, I often sometimes joke the love-hate relationship because it is always, you know, and then, <laughs> you know, it is, there is always that it's live. Anything can happen. And there is, you know, and again, right now, gosh, living right now, dealing with, you know, we're testing every day. Believe me, there's a, obviously an underlying anxiety. Oh my God, am I going to test positive today? You know that now. So add on to what we're doing, you oh, know, boy. dealing with obviously different faces on stage with swings and understudies who needless to say, as we've obviously now the last couple of weeks, there's been such an mm -hmm. outcry based on a poorly, poorly timed and misinformed comment. But, uh, you know, there's no people like show people. And I'm telling you, what is happening across Broadway right now is so indicative of why this is the top of the shop and why when you come to see a Broadway show, I promise you, you are seeing, uh, uh, yes, a group of people come together on stage and off stage. Let us not forget how many, there's more people off stage, you know, crew and wardrobe and front of house, ushers and ticket takers and just everybody, maintenance, people who keep these 
buildings clean for us, especially right now when it comes to like, gosh, the corporation mm-hmm. or whatever. So anyway, I'm just saying, uh, but it is top of the shop. These are the best of the best. I truly believe that because uh, uh, that's, you know, there's a standard. There's a, there, there, there's a standard that is, you know, maintained, you know, and uh, we're all responsible for that. And oh, I'm, absolutely. Yeah. I, and I want to go back to, to young Brad. You said you grew up in D.C. But you were born <laughs> in D.C. too, right? Yes. I was actually looking up you, of course, to prep for this interview. And I, I thought to myself, you know what? I don't know what that name comes from. Do you know why it's named Washington, D.C.? This is an off-topic history lesson, but I looked oh, it up gee. last night. Uh, you know what? The District of Columbia. I don't. I don't because the, uh, you know about like the decision through through the story of Hamilton, the musical. You know why it was placed in this area between right. Virginia and right. Maryland. Right. And Virginia gave some land. Maryland gave some land. And they, when they were deciding what to name it, of course, they decided we're going to do the Washington part because of President Washington, our first pre- George Washington. And right. then D.C. was District of, it originally was Territory of Columbus. And they changed it to District of Columbia as an homage to Christopher Columbus, the discoverer, or discoverer of the country, I right. think in your quotes, right? Sure, sure. So they say, right. Yeah. So anyway, off topic. There you go. There's your history lesson oh, for today. Wow. So young Brad in, you in Washington, D.C., what got yes. you into theater? What got you into performing? Why did you start gravitating well, I, toward the stage? I was introduced to it um, uh, through my folks, basically, because they were theater goers. My grandfather, my mom's dad, was president of the Variety Club at one point, which was sort of a entertainment kind of club. I'm not exactly sure. You know, I, I, you can sort of read about it. It's very, it's legendary, and I believe still exists. But anyway, so they, uh, growing up in D.C., were able to go to the theater, obviously, because there was plenty of stuff in D.C., and, and shows would try out. So I was introduced to it in that way. And they did some community theater also when they were younger. Um so, yeah, sort of came by it, honestly, as far as, you know, hearing cast albums and falling in love with that sound, late 60s. And then my folks taking me to the theater, uh, at a, a, again, at the age of like seven, eight-ish, and growing up at a time when the big stars, the big Broadway stars would still take out their hit shows sometimes 20 years after they had done them on Broadway, but there was this summer circuit. Most of these theaters were in the round. The one near me growing up in D.C. was Shady Grove Music Fair in Gaithersburg-ish, Maryland. Mm -hmm. Uh, Up here, there was Westbury Music Fair, Valley Forge. I know there were several on the circuit. Anyway, I get to see, this is like the summer of 72-ish, give or take. I get to see Gwen Verdon and Ray Walston do Damn Yankees. Wow. I get the Angela Lansbury do Mame. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, right there at an early age, man, boom. Uh, you know, the, and, and those two shows, of course, happen to be touchstones for me as well. Because I always say, those of us who fell in love with musicals, there's always one or two or three that are, that really got you going. And I don't judge people's choices. <laughs> and I've had the as I get older, and someone says, oh, my God, you know, God forbid someone says, you know, Mamma Mia, I'm just going to jump out a window. But nonetheless, for me, <laughs> for me, um, uh, 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 yeah, 
Damn Yankees and uh, uh, and Mame and uh, and Damn Yankees, which you mentioned earlier. Which, by the way, I think you might have mentioned that it was one of my Broadway credits. Damn Yankees actually was the first time I got to go home and work professionally in D.C. at Arena oh. State. Which is where I met my husband. So needless to say, the show that was very special to me since 1972 became even more so when I get to go work at home for the first time professionally at Arena, where I grew up seeing tons of theater. And I meet my husband, Diego Prieto, who was an actor as well down in D.C. at the time, working at Arena and Signature. And um, yeah, and the rest is history. But but uh, yeah, so, so anyway, so I'm turned on to it uh, in that way and very nurtured and encouraged by my folks as far as uh you know doing well i mostly would put on shows in the basement and stuff like that but then i then i started doing stuff outside of um outside of school because there was only so much theater in the schools that i went to as far as uh, you know my uh, public education but the jewish community center in rockville maryland had an amazing theater department for kids i think back on it now and it's like it was like juilliard jr and I say that because literally I, we do a summer musical. Every summer there was a program, we do a musical. And there was a mm -hmm. bunch of kids and I did Fiddler and Dolly and Oliver and, you know, got to play my first lead roles and stuff like that. But then during the school year, there would be classes on, on voice and movement and, you know, stuff that I would then pay thousands of dollars to learn at Boston University or relearn. Because here I was at a relatively early age, you know, learning breathing exercises and, <clears throat> a lot of stuff that laid an extraordinary groundwork for me and taking some voice lessons as well, starting to sing. Um, so I was really fortunate in those early, you know, mentors and people that I studied with uh, before I even went off to actually officially, you know, studying and go to college, which I, as I said, I went to BU. Um, so, yeah, but again, all a very natural progression. And then when I was about 12, 12-ish, give or take, we started coming up to New York City for the weekend and seeing four shows in a weekend, maybe two or three times a year. And then this became, you know, fantasy land. New York city was it. Broadway was, you know, I, because again, it was my God, all of these theaters packed into this, you know, dense 10 block area, the lights, the excitement that, Oh, it was, uh, you know, and then of course seeing, you know, again, seminal shows that, 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 uh, uh, you know, blew my mind and taught me in so many ways what theater could be. Yes, albeit big commercial theater, but still I'm talking about on the 20th century and Sweeney Todd and the original production of Nine and just things that I'd never seen before. I'd never seen stories told that way. I'd never seen, you know, and again, because it's the top of the shop. So the designs, the cost, those costumes in that original production of Nine William Ivy Long's costumes. I mean, come on. So, you know, but those things that affect you in a way. And, and, and so, uh, so yeah. And it's what I always wanted to, you know, again, I wanted to do this since I was relatively young and then to be, to be able to, um, yeah, see theater, see Broadway shows, you know, obviously live close enough and fortunately have folks that, you know, certainly was much more affordable at the time. You know, we weren't very wealthy, believe me. My grandfather lived, <laughs> came to live with us when I was around, uh, also around like 11 or 12. And <clears throat> God bless him, an amazing man, the one who was with the Variety Club and had showbiz in his blood. Grew up here, born in Brooklyn, went to see everything on 42nd Street, you know, before the Great Depression. And uh, so saw, you know, Ziegfeld Follies and all that stuff. So I come by it honestly there too. Wow. But anyway, nothing made him happier 
I swear to God, his social security checks would come in and they would go right towards our trips to New York because nothing made him happier than for us to come up to the city as a fan, the four of us and, you know, see shows. And so, um, uh, anyway, I was, you know, very, very lucky that way to be able to, uh, indulge my love of it. And, and again, get an education because I always say half of my education, half of anyone's, I think theatrical education as a performer, as an artist is to see as well as do, but see, be critical. What, what turns you on? What doesn't work for you? Why? Mm -hmm. All those things. I just find that that's always still a part of my education. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. I want to go one level deeper though, because people, uh, we talk about this a lot, uh, the touchstones and, and um, what got people into theater. Like you saw something and it sparked this curiosity, but what is it? Like if you if you go back if you go to the motivation if you go to you know let's let's get let's get acting acting love acting class level deep here, um, what is it about the need to be on stage? Is it a need? Is it a is it a a, a pulling a calling? Is it a, a, like yeah. because it sounds there's a yeah. there's a lot of people that I've performed with in the past that like they didn't get the emotional response from parents right? If you want to get psychological about this. Oh, they yeah. didn't get a, a love from a from a parent, so they get the uh, the love from the applause, and that's yeah. their that's their substitution. Oh, I will, yeah, right. Certainly not that. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't dare. I say I don't care, and I mean <laughs> that. And I mean that. It's not. You know, I can analyze myself. I God knows I've been in enough therapy. Thank God. <laughs> um, but what, what sparked that kid in the basement dancing around to the album of Seesaw? I don't know why that, where that connective tissue came from. I don't know why. I know, again, influences. I get, you know, one hears things, one processes things. And as a child, I'm sure, obviously, needless to say, I don't remember 90% of what that was that affected, mm -hmm. right? I just, you know, as far as that goes, what we remember, actually, what we don't. Um, <clears throat> but I just know that it, there was something about the idea. I mean, sure, the attention. The attention as far as being able to um, uh, be the conduit, if you will, be the vessel through which you're going to hear this or I'm going to tell you this story or whatever it was, mm -hmm. you know, because if you're putting on an album and lip syncing in the basement, which is really what I was doing a lot of seriously, um, <laughs> you know, what, what's, what's going on? Well, I want to do the, sh I want to be that, right. I want that voice to come out of my mouth. I want to tell this story. I want to play that role. It's why I've always wanted to play Mame. I mean, I still can't get over that. Come on. No matter how much <laughs> Um, but I mean, so whatever that basic instinct is, I guess, is, is, is part of it because that's what thrilled me in that way, you know? And so when I'm on stage, I mean, I, I, there's no fuller Brad, I think, than when I was on stage, like doing Betrayed or doing It's a Musical with Brian Darcy James and mm -hmm. a ridiculous cast of extraordinary Broadway veterans and ensemble that just oh my god you know i mean what so you know so to me that's the highest of highs that's when i'm when i feel like you know i am full i am 
it, I am I'm because I'm in a very happy place, but I'm also hopefully giving you the audience, <clears throat> you know, everything that I am so passionate about or whatever, you know, again, within the confine, within the outline of the thing. Um, mm -hmm. Look, the last year and a half was horrible because it was very hard to sit here many times and think, wait a minute, am I totally defined by what I do? Is my worth totally uh, defined by the performance I'm giving, the show I'm in, the, the people I'm surrounded by, the, the, is that the, is that the only way I live? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? In quotes, like when I'm working, because I wasn't, because we weren't, because that part of my soul was not being fed at all. And I've been very lucky to have kept it fed, you know, uh, except for, well, I've had my downtime. Mm -hmm. I've had, you know, I've had good six months. I've had, you know, bad years, if you will, relatively speaking, but that's showbiz, you know, but here we were at a time and to have it taken away from us the way it was. But yeah, I questioned, you know, wow. Uh, uh, the, uh, again, is my self-worth based on tied to too much what I do? Because that's not all of who I am. But you know what? It's a lot of who I am and it's okay. And my, well, my, you know, my ego, and when we say ego, the pure sense of that word, not my ego being, look at me, how fabulous I am. My ego being my, my sense of self and the self that I bring to what I do, right? The self that then gets activated, if you will, um, is, yeah, that's what does it. And, and, and so I do, yeah, I, I, I miss it terribly. And it's part of my, <clears throat> it's just part of my, you know, makeup that way. Well, so how did you how did you cope? What was it a, a need to cope or was it an acceptance? What, like when during your six months off or you know the six month downtime or the two years when COVID shut down Broadway or year and a half yeah, or yeah. the years when you said you had bad years, right? You, you know, do, do you do you kind of like emotionally, mentally, how do you get through that? Well, um, I mean, I guess the two different things, being unemployed and then, of course, the COVID thing are two slightly different things. Because when I'm unemployed, I trust that, you know what, so far, so good. This has been working out okay. I'm going to just trust that something's going to come along. I'm going to work again, okay? So it sucks. And sometimes I'm like, oh, geez, great. Here I am, 50-something, and I have no job. And, you know, it feels weird that way. But look, it's what I signed up for. And so between my... Uh, my husband, God bless, who, of course, is a grounding force in my life in every way. And so especially in times like that, yes, when I'm feeling not so great about myself or just like, ah, when am I, you know, what, what's going on? Um, you know, that's grounding. And financially, again, it's not something we need to thank God. Old enough, smart enough, have some savings. Diego's working. You know, that's, that is not an issue, which can be an issue for a lot of performers. Mm -hmm. So I feel very blessed when it comes to that. Um, but yeah, last, you know, the, 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 the COVID break was a little tougher. Again, lucky to know though, that Doubtfire was coming back. We knew it was coming back. It was just a question of when, mm -hmm. so, you know, but yeah, when it turned into, well, this is going to be well over a year. Um, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. And I just, you know, I soldiered through, I did a couple little things here and there as far as readings or online zoom stuff which, you know, runs its course very quickly because what we, as what we said, what we do is live. It's in the same room. It's interactive. Energy. It's 
Exactly. You can't. So, you know, so it was, you know, it was what it was. It wasn't fun. And, and I hope that we, you know, that it never has to happen like that again. Um, you know, I know I'm going into about nine weeks, maybe just eight. If we start rehearsal again and things happen like they're going to God willing, um, this will be, you know, again, easier because I know there's going to be a light at the end of this tunnel. I'm very, very confident that we are set up for success to come back and actually give this show a run. Um, yeah. So I feel good about that as far as that goes. And so over the next couple of weeks, I'll eat too much and cook some more and, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and try to do some things that you can't do when you're working, whether that means go away for the weekend or have dinner with friends you know, again, based on the environment we're living in, I'm mm -hmm. still going to be uber safe. I'm still taking, you know, really good care as far as being safe that way because I have a responsibility to, you know, the show and my, you know, my family and everybody as far as that goes. And, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, but yeah, just rolling along. <laughs> I think that is a wonderful, uh, a wonderful place to wrap up the episode. Uh, of course, <laughs> Doubtfire is going on hiatus January 10th, March 14th. Performance is currently scheduled to resume March 15th, March 2022. 15th. We're on sale, baby. Yes. Yep. Yep. So buy your tickets. And I want to end with the three, three standard closing questions I ask everybody. So the first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? What motivates me? Oh, you these big questions. Very Didn't even simple. get a heads up. <laughs> what motivates me? Absolute citron. No, what <laughs> motivates me? Um, I guess my uh, my uh, my my fam, my base, my peeps, my husband, my. Uh, Having a base from which to live, if you will. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. It does. It, allows, it does. It, it, does. It, motiv it makes me, yes, want to be everything. Want to be a good person. Want to be a good performer. Want to be a good, um, all that. Because I am blessed to have, uh, yeah, a lot of love in my life. Wonderful. Okay. So the next question then is, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? I would say this is easier said than done the younger you are, but, but keep searching and finding your true self. Keep on top of that. And by that, I mean, be the fullest you that you can be. Don't think you know what other people want or what you can give to other people or when you're in an audition situation, again, all these you know, what is it? Because he wants something different than what she wants, than what they want, than blah, 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 blah. So my point is that I have learned and wish I had learned earlier, I guess, or just had told myself earlier, again, be the fullest, You bring yourself to the table, your choices, your ideas, your way of telling the story, whatever that is, that's you, because you won't always know what they want, but you'll be given some direction, a breakdown, whatever, but make choices. Be bold in that way because that alone is a positive. Mm -hmm. Despite if your choice is right or wrong or not what they or whatever that might be, you're going to show them something. And as I said before earlier, talking about like going in for a director like Jerry, most directors, if they see something that's committed and strong that or whatever, then they're going to know, oh, you know, we've got something here. Now, I wonder if 
this might work and they'll give you the adjustment or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but anyway, just to, to really, yeah, find and, and, and be your truest self. Don't apologize for it. Don't question it. Don't compare yourself to someone else. God, it's so hard. It's so hard what we do in that way because it's so subjective. It's entirely subjective. So let go of as much of that as you can and be you. <laughs> okay, last question then. You could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want. What would you say? Right. Well, I mean, I think after all this, I would still say Sweeney Todd, I guess. I expected because, that. Yeah, the original cousin of Sweeney Todd, sure. Cool, because, cool, cool. you know, in many ways, yeah. But I also have six more I could, you know, easily list off so but it's I know funny is- Sweeney is the most given answer to that question really mm-hmm. yeah how about that yeah that's fine yeah. so where can we find you online love it um I'm not re- you know I'm not a big uh, big social media guy but I am uh, I think I'm Brad Oscar 64 on Instagram <laughs> <laughs> he says I think right yes uh I mean I'm there I rarely post but I certainly see what other people do and um Yes, otherwise, you will find me at the Stephen Sondheim Theater on March 15th. That's right. Well, Our, this week as well, currently, but nonetheless. Yes. yes. So uh, you get more of me at the theaterpodcast.com. I am on Instagram and Twitter at theater <laughs> underscore podcast. Please leave a rating and a review of this podcast wherever you are listening. This has been edited by Well Rounded Hoodlum Productions, music by Jukebox the Ghost, and conversation by Brad Oscar. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Alan. This was great. Thank you. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.